to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons, today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast is brought to you by the new Mizuno JPX921 Iron Series. The new family of irons comprises JPX921 Forged, the JPX921 Tour and the JPX921 Hot Metal and Hot Metal Pro, with each model engineered to help enhance performance for particular swing types. The Forged offers the fastest ball speeds Mizuno has ever produced from a fully forged iron, and we genuinely mean fully forged, while the JPX921 Tour blends precision with enhanced stability from off-center strikes. Now, despite the slight differences in appearance with these models, all members of the JPX921 family of irons are unmistakably Mizuno in both profile and sensation through impact. Be sure to check out the whole range of the new Mizuno JPX921 irons. And now it's time to bring in the boys. We have Philbert and Kipper. Lovely to be here again. Yes, and morning, afternoon, and good night, as oh, I usually just, start. Come on, Kipper, <laughs> come up with something more than that. <laughs> no, I, 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 You're I, better than no, that, Dees. I watched you that movie years ago, and I, and I bloody loved it. I, I felt sorry <laughs> for him, and I, I like it. So there it is. <laughs> All right, let's kick off the Truman Show as we uh, as we know it, boys. Phil, anything that has got your goat this week? Not really, other than not being able, to, not being able to, and I, I'm <laughs> not being able to. I don't know, Dan, whether you're listening. I don't know who's listening anymore. This is doing my head in. Not being able to embark on Operation Champ, and I know there's been a lot of interest from the members of the public <laughs> about how Operation Champ Both is of them. going. There's you better been, explain it, Phil, because not many people would know what Operation Champ is. They all mean. know what Operation Champ is. I've got people parked out the front door with those weird dishes sitting on their cars. Operation Champ is my quest to no longer be the world's tallest short hitter. It is to move into the 25th, 30th percentile. And Kipper said he can do it, but only if I can see Kipper because I'm not allowed to hit a golf ball. I'm not allowed to do anything. Heaven forbid that someone coughs. But I can go for a walk on a golf course with four other people. You can swim. But I can't play golf in a two. Oh, no. You can go for a swim in a public Not pool. like germs would spread and there at all. The, and the Texas Medical Association, as dodgy as that sounds, oh, TMA. says that swimming pool is like a, a six on the scale of fear and danger and playing golf is a two. <laughs> but no, let's go for a swim. Let's go to a playground or, as I saw in the weekend, gee, I'm off on a rant. Let's go to a playground. It's a good hate. We've got this 400 people lining up for the swing, all coughing and spluttering on each other. But let's not play golf. And more to the point, let's not let me embark on Operation Champ, pick up 15 me- miles per hour club head speed. Anyway, that's all I've got. Other than that, everything's good. Well, that uh, brings me straight to my love, the fact that I don't have to start. <laughs> go on. No, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I, um, I I can't wait to see the old Philly's arms move at a, a speed slightly faster than, I guess, a, a, a trolley going down the mid-range aisle at Coles. So, no, I'm looking forward to it. Kipper, if you can get him to – if you can get him 15 more miles, what's that going on? 15? Hang on. This hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that, isn't no, that where we're at? Started. <laughs> yeah, it's 15. If you can get him 15, what does that equate to in distance? Probably a good four metres for Phil. No, it's – no, honestly, 15. It, there's a, an old saying, one mile an hour over 100 mile an hour – Equates to four meters of distance. 
But 15 gets you to about 100, doesn't it, Phil? I've got an old thing of my well, own. <laughs> so, so, yeah, 10 mile an hour would be 40 metres, yeah, uh, which is right, we'll as- astronomical. And, oh, and this 15. Philly. I'm not sure about this 15 thing, to be honest. Well, <laughs> that's, no, no. that's stretching everyone's capabilities. So, hold on. Just back up the truck <laughs> a little bit. So, it's okay for Bryson to go from 117 to 133. Yes. But Ooh, well. I'm not allowed to go from 71 to 86. Is that what you're I don't, saying? I don't think no. he said you're not allowed. I think he said it was just highly highly uh, yeah. unlikely. Yeah, there's, there's been a bar set and now it's just pushed up to that level where no one can jump it. So what, you're not good enough, Kipper? Uh, there's a common, there's a team here, Phil, and <laughs> we're not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Plenty of, a couple of hates there, boys. I've got one uh, this week. It's a little bit more of a somber one. I hate saying goodbye to an icon of a game. In this case, we're talking about Dean Jones, the former Australian cricketer uh, who died last week of a heart attack in India. He was a guy who who changed the game of cricket. You know, all the all the kids growing up in the eighties. I know I was one of them. Dino was a hero. He was he was this, he was swashbuckling. He was a bit of a maverick. He was sort of t twenty or, or twenty twenty before twenty twenty existed. Mm. Aggressive runner between wickets, superb fielder, but um, also a, a good friend of the show. And yeah, really really sad to say goodbye to Dino last week. Uh, yeah, look, uh, on a on a personal note to you, mate, I send him my condolences. I know you knew him well, and uh, it would have been a tough. Uh, for you, obviously, the last week and all the rest of it. But, yeah, look, he, he was. He, he changed the game. And when anyone that's that's that good passes, regardless of whether it was before their time or not, there is a real sense of loss uh, throughout the community. And you see it all the time. And, and yeah, I think uh, everyone felt felt a little burn last week. It was like, damn, it's like, yeah, he, he was a jet and well uh, well loved by all. And that actually stems into my love, boys, as well. Because, obviously, after these sorts of things happen, you, you get a lot of the tributes and things that come out. And my love is the nostalgia of reliving sporting icons and the things that they achieved. And, and just going back to yesteryear and re- remembering what it was like, you know, you think, you know, Dino, you think of footballers back when they were bigger than bigger than life characters, you know, the Dermies, the Lockets, um, even Norman on a golf course, Greg Norman strutting around with the course with his, his black or his white Akubra hat. I, I love looking back at that era. It just it just makes me smile. Life life seems simpler. Yet almost, it seemed more authentic in, in a way. And maybe that's just nostalgia I, in general. But I, but I just love looking back. I, I dare say, Mr. Dames, I, I think you're getting old, right? Because we've heard this from all what, of what our- that? Fa- you're going to have to speak half a little bit there, pal. <laughs> we've heard this from our fathers and our forefathers. <laughs> yes, the year, the pie being a dollar and the Coke being 50 cents. And it, it, everything that you've lived and, and you've seen, I think it turns into this-, this it is. It just it, it makes you who you are, and uh, I agree with you. I'm not not disagreeing, but I am old, and so <laughs> so I think you could be turning the corner here, mate. Well, I've got you both covered, and <laughs> I, I can tell you, it is that the greats. It's it's a Jordan. It's a Gretzky. It, it's yeah. all of them. It, it's. I was going to say Daryl Strawberry, but there were slightly different <laughs> things going on at that time. But, but it is it is knowing that that you're done, and I think in the in the case of Dino, just talking about that, it, it is it is done too, you have to look back on the, the memories. But mm. there are some iconic incidents that happen to elite people and game changers in sport that you can hold on to and you can celebrate and they do live with you forever and so they should and we should continue mm. to celebrate them, including the 96 Masters. I've really got to get my head around <laughs> celebrating Feldo's victory, don't I? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll we, we'll get there one day, Phil. I think we're a long way, a long way off it. But even just on that, it was like I'll, on a personal note, it was, I was pretty lucky that you know Dino was my sporting hero growing up, and I was lucky enough to get to know him and become mates with him in later in, later in in my life, I guess. But 
that that old saying of never meet your heroes mm. or never meet your sporting heroes. And I, I get, I understand it, but I, I reckon it's more a case of make sure you you choose the right yeah, heroes because it makes such a difference. Um, Dino, again, polarizing for a lot of people because he was just blunt. There was no no bullshit about it, which I actually love. I think that's a great trait in a person because it means they're pretty honest and authentic. But loved his golf. Loved his golf. Was going to to actually was believe it or not, it was going to be on on Golf Baron season two uh, in a couple of weeks. We were talking about catching up. So that's you know, it's just it's just so incredibly incredibly sad. Um, or if you're going to meet your heroes, make sure that when the camera's about to go off, you don't look like you've just been electrocuted. Uh, sat on something sharp or uh, <laughs> potentially taken too many illicit substances because it means that that lives oh. with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, we've got to set got to set this up for the viewers because there is one wonderful not, photo of young Phil, and, and I'm still and trying to get him to to put it out on our um, <laughs> on, either on our on Twitter or Instagram or on our Facebook I'm page. Not willing to, I'm not willing to do it, but suffice to say that I was very fortunate, thanks to a very very good friend of mine, young Bradley, to be able to shake hands and meet Kobe Bryant when he was out in Australia 18 months ago. And there's that point. When the camera's about to flash and you've had a long day and you're feeling a bit tired and you think, I'm going to get myself up for this photo. And so you stretch your face, you stretch your eyes open just so that when you do come down, you're on the slightly higher side of where you were as opposed <laughs> to the lower side. And the prick went click. And that is the name of my new book. The prick went click. Um, the stories and photos of Phil's life. Uh, and so my lasting memory, other than having a very brief chat, and it was a very brief chat, with the great man, Kobe Bryant, was a photo that looked like I'd just been looking <laughs> But you also, you also have to, I was going to say, you also have to preface in this photo that the other people in the photo look like they've been through that seven hours of, you know, hard slog. <laughs> Philip is the only one jumping from the moon. There was a bit of a contrast. I mean, he had flown for 4,000 hours getting out from the US. Sure, it was on a private jet and had had to shake hands with 7 million people <laughs> until I came along. So of all of us who should have been looking tired, it was not me, but he was looking as suave and awesome. But, but Damo, to your point, choose them and choose them wisely. But once you've chosen them wisely, then you know what I say? I say latch on and live every minute with them. Absolutely. If you can. Absolutely. Now, Philly, you've got a love for us this week that one of one of Australia's finest golfers. I, I do. I've, I love listening to Jeff Ogilvie talk golf and golf courses and, you know, questions asked. He, he's, he's got such a great insight into the game of golf and course design and about fixing problems. And we touched on last week in our podcast, you know, when we're talking about Wingfoot and how long it was and how Bryson over, overpowered it and did an awesome job in doing it. And we spoke about what if the solution were shorter courses. Now, that for me and my Muppet brain was a throwaway line. I got to listen to Jeff Ogilvie explain why that makes complete sense. And I was mesmerized by his voice, his tone, his knowledge, his ability to explain exactly what he was thinking in as fewer words as possible. It, it, he is an icon of the game and why every TV network covering golf is not writing him a dirty, great, big, bloody check saying, do it from your lounge room. Like we're used to this remote thing. Do it from your lounge room. Here is $10 squillion. Well, hang on, hang on, Phil. I just want you to talk. Can we afford him? No. <laughs> um, you can. You can afford him. 
Um, Damo and I can't afford him, but we can afford him with your money. But he is. He's a real. Th- he's clearly one of the best thinking golf minds going around, he, undoubtedly. He, on, the, on the tour, he's called the thinker. Oh, was he really? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you've, you go. Actually, you've actually nailed it, James. No, he, he is. He's a jet. He's, he's extremely articulate. His IQ is actually off the charts. I forget what it was because we, we used to make fun of it. But he is. He's, he's, he's way smarter than your average golfer. And when it, gets, when it comes to actually talking about things that he's passionate about, and course design is one of them, he's, he's, he's just uh, like a breath of fresh air. You can listen to him all day long because um, he's very knowledgeable. But, he's, but as Phil said, he doesn't bat, you know, waffle on and, and go for ages. He's actually right to he's the point. He's quite terse. Yeah, quite terse and, yeah. and really insightful. Mm. But it's just insightful. And there is a, an interview and he did with another podcast called The Fried Egg. It, it is just essential listening. With Andy Johnson and Jeff Ogilvy, it is absolutely essential listening both for the interview, but his his mind, you get a real sense of him. And I actually just lay on the couch and put the headphones on and listen to it and could imagine what he was talking about and particularly loved the fact that he touched on a point that we'd also made. So he said it a lot better, yeah. It's just that he actually said it properly. But to be a 71%ite of an Ogilvy's mind, and I'm probably pumping myself, I've given myself the 15 miles, I gave myself 15 intelligence points. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, there you go. That's my love. He's just, yeah. he's just people who not only think but can explain their thoughts. Jeff Ogilvy, you are a jet. He is. Absolute jet. Have you got a love for us this week, Dees? Look, I haven't got a love. I've got a lot of loves. And the lot of loves is I know there's some events going on right now that uh, I suppose not a lot of people are paying that much attention to. You know, obviously the the start of the what's called the new season, which is very confusing really if you if you're not into golf because they they just finish all of the big tournaments and yeah. then all of a sudden the wraparound you know, season, yeah. The wraparound's going and 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 let's call it punters are playing that no one's really heard of and it's hard to get inspired and watching, but I uh, I do enjoy every now and then flicking that on and just seeing I guess what would be called up and comers, but they're already on the best tour in the world, and they're already probably signing big checks. But you've never heard of them, and they're absolute jets. And you get to see them hit hit shots and swing the swing. And from my perspective, get to see them actually swing the club and and perform a, a task really, really efficiently. And you're like, you just never know when the next Jordan Spieth's coming. And other events are always shadowed by the best of the best. So, so that you know, it's always top heavy. You got your Kepkas and whatnot up there. But when they're not playing, it's that next rung. It's kind of like a I don't want to say the secondary tour because it's not. It's the main tour, but because they're not there, it sort of is. But it also gives you that one chance for a few weeks of a year, which is now, to see the next breed. And 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 I actually kind of like it. So, so my love is watch. Oh, I've got to be careful how I word this, but watching the up and comers or the newly <laughs> the newly to be crowns rolling around and uh, and shooting unbelievable numbers, but without the big the big guns there. Well, as someone who is an expert on swings and, and technique, days, do you look at when you watch these events? Do you see, I don't know, say there's 50 different actions, or do you see that it's actually quite similar in a lot of ways? And do you see commonalities at like impact, for example? Do you see yeah. a lot of them being taught really well? Obviously, the impact position to be well, bang on. I think, yeah, I think we, uh, we sort of touched on this. Um, in the pre, just about like we're going to talk about a little bit later about kind of the Australia's up and comers versus the rest of the world, and maybe we should be performing better, and maybe we shouldn't. But there's a couple of reasons why consistently American players have more, I guess, players in the top fifty in the world than any other country in the world, and there's it's got 
undoubtedly to do with their training. And we'll get into that a little bit later and why I think there's some gaping holes here in this country and other countries. But yeah, to answer your question, there's a lot of similarities around what they're doing through the ball and, and really not a lot of similarities anywhere else. And that's what makes those players in that country, especially, I suppose, great to watch because they're not cookie cutters. Whereas if you watch a lot of the breed coming out of Asia, they're extremely cookie cutting because they're all doing, you know, basically biomechanics and whatnot. Um, and, and, and so, so there's a, there's a big shift that's happening in the world. They know how to actually swing a club, but America still just do their thing, which is, which is get to impact. And yeah, we'll discuss it later. But, but yeah, you're right. I, I think there's a big gap. Well, I am no cookie cutter. <laughs> and, and I look forward to you seeing one of the best ball strikers you've ever seen. When we finally get the opera- uh, the chance to embark on Operation Champ, Hashtag I thought it was Operation. I've got Operation Chump here. Oh, I, I, I know you can hit it, Phil. I just don't think you can hit it fifteen mile an hour faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all relative, and it depends where I start. So maybe I'll choke back a little, well, just for the joy well, of finally winning at something. I was going to say, well, just on that, just quickly, because this is this is something to take offline. But you are already trying to swing it faster, so you're already going to be quicker. <laughs> Than you began, and that 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 shoots us as a team in the foot. You gotta no, you gotta cork it and go at seventy five percent for the next two months until we can see each other. I have decided <laughs> to stop stretching, and stop my extensive gym routine. I've decided to stop carbo loading and protein loading, and I've got the CSIRO diet, and I've flipped that on its head, and I'm going with the full Atkins twist. <laughs> this is going to be a journey, Kipper. And do you know what it's going to do? It's going to change the game, and that's beautifully passed on to my stupid – this is potentially the worst game changer I've ever come up with. So I want everyone to listen up because I've come up with some shit ones in my time. We're talking about players overpowering golf courses. And one of the things that we discovered at Winged Foot is the really strong, powerful hitters can cut corners. Now, in theory, 18 at Augusta with a dog leg riding up the hill. If there were no trees or there were less trees around the tee, they potentially would look to take it over the right trees with a slight draw. Having not been there, that could be completely false. It doesn't matter. Go with me. So my game changer (laughs) is to create virtual cyclone fences on either side of the tee, which forces the players to tee off in the direction with the intent of the course designer. He wanted you to play towards that bunker at the end of the fairway. So we're going to make sure that if you don't want to hit it towards the bunker at the end of the fairway and the... It is a dogleg left. You're going to have to play a roping hook. Uh, thank, thank Christ you've said this, right? Because I've got to be honest, I do not know why it's not done more. Now, there's, a little, yeah. there's a little dinky golf course. I say dinky, but it, it's a nice little golf course, public golf course in Australia, out of the um, eastern suburbs, Ringwood Golf Course, right? They are pressed for space, and they do this all the time. They, 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 they bank you up against a set of trees or, or a, you know, an area that where you, you're coming out of a shoot and there is no shot, right? And if you want to take on a shot that, 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 you know, swings around trees, you're going to have to be, you know, bubba and, and, and all power to you. But Jesus, risk reward. These ones that set you up on a, on a tee box that's, you know, so called long, it's 50 meters back. And, and when it's 50 meters back, you're already out of the shoot. And you're in this open space, and you can peg it over trees. I could, I could not. I oh, don't say this often. I could not agree with you more, Phil. You don't say that often. <laughs> so I've done some, I've done ever. some research, and uh, what we're going to do. So I've taken some inspiration from ten pin bowling, 
because it's important that we look across all these other sports. <laughs> so when your foot slides across the line, there's a foul when you're bowling. So what we're going to do, I've created laser fences so that we don't have to grow t- trees and suck more water out of the ground and all the rest. I've created a laser fence system. Oh, Phil. Whereby when the ball pierces the vertical plane that is my laser fence by someone trying to cut off more than they're allowed to under my laws Does on the my ball blow up? It's a stroke penalty. You've uh, you've you've oh. created baseball. Oh shit! I knew there was something that's similar about that game. I'm the new Dav. I'm the instead the of inventing Dav, match back. play. Instead of Dav going, hey, why don't we try a game where the the person who has the lowest score on a hole, they just win that hole, and then you go to the next hole. So just as Dav created match play or recreated it, it appears that I might have just recreated baseball. Here ended that someone get me out of this that, hole. No, no, no. But the best part about that is, Phil, I, well, that's just I, I'm still running with this because then you could have, yeah, let's call it officials on tees just yelling out fly ball every time the ball <laughs> just just nicks the edge of the tee box. I love it. Steve. So the ball has to land. Yes, right. Yeah, okay. We're going to workshop this. Mm. So I'd like to apologize for everyone listening. The fact that you've got lasers, though, Phil, surely we can use the lasers to to shoot the ball and blow the ball up, <laughs> just for, to make it a bit more of a spectator sport. No, no th- these are not those kind of lasers. Uh, but I want some are, lasers. These are vertical plane um, <laughs> swing lasers. I was going to say, v- v- <laughs> just stop VPSLs talking. VPSLs as opposed to VPLs. <laughs> so I think it does raise an interesting question, though, Kipper. How, how important do you reckon it is for the average golfer to learn how to shape shots? Oh, God, I thought you were going to ask me how important it is to own a laser. Okay. Um, no, no. It, it's enormously important. And I, um, it's funny. I coach people down to about a 15 handicap. And, and about that level, they'll ask how to, you know, shape a, shape a ball because they're reasonably confident of hitting it decently each time. But if you ask Bubba Watson, you know, when should a person start to shape a ball, he'll tell you. Like unbelievably, he says you should learn how to shape a shot before you do anything else in golf, mm-hmm. because it teaches you all sorts of things about face control, path, and ultimately, you know what is impact. Right. So that's his whole mantra: is learn how to move a ball, because once you do that, you learn how to actually get to impact. But a lot of people get to a certain level in golf, and they, and they even get quite a lot better than than a mid-teen handicap, and they still don't know how to work a ball nicely, right to left and left to right. So, so, so you think they need to be doing it both ways? They absolutely. need to learn both ways? Yeah, absolutely, and as early as possible. And even if you've got – like these days you've got launch monitors that give you path, right, and you'll see all these different, um, I suppose, analogies of how to play a draw into, out, close, club face. There's a heap of guys, a heap of guys that have made a living – that do not swing into out. They, they might swing across the ball, which is a, a typical cut. Well, let's let's use you for an example, Dames. Mm-hmm. A, yeah. a cut mentality across the ball. But if you have a closed club face to that cut path, it's going to hook, isn't it? Right? You just got to alter your aim. So you don't have to change your club path necessarily to, to shape a shot. You just have to know where the face is and, and, and alter your, I guess, alignment. Yeah, and at the risk of giving you a pat on the back, I must say that the teaching that, that we did in our 15 shots, you uh, must have to play good golf. Because oh. I've always had trouble with the draw, and I'll, I've got to be honest, the way that you explain it and the way that, uh, that we executed it, I'm actually pretty confident now pulling out a draw when I need to. So that's all you're going to get from me. You get nothing more. But <laughs> I'd like something stated for the record right now because this is resembling a loving a bit too much demo. I'm yeah. not complimenting you on anything tonight. Cool. <laughs> so that's good. not going to be a three-way love-in. This is, this is, you know, D's 
bit of love around no the trailing. Not getting any love. <laughs> trailing it. But but this is one of the points that that was created from Ogilvy's conversation about what would happen if you made courses shorter and harder, only to change things up. I then had this vision of how I wonder how good Bryson is. If we just deal with Bryson, and I actually don't like the fact that we're now Bryson centric, but we'll deal with Well Bryson you are. Now. Bryson hitting, but I'm in an excited way. Bryson hitting stingers. Bryson hitting slinging draws and low fades because the course requires that. And he's actually got it. And this is what Ogilvy kept talking about. The questions that a golf course is asking is such a beautiful way of explaining it. And I don't want to go down this track again with my love, but he's got such a beautiful way, an eloquent way of explaining the questions the golf course asks is the questions that the players will answer. And, and for Bryson to be able to hit stingers and hit these different shape of shots because he's got them. He's not mm. just bomb and gouge Bryson. No. And, and, as, BG. and as you pointed out last week, Phil, like he, he, he didn't even win the, the, you know, the longest drive average for the week. I think you'll find was, that was me who pointed that out, but thanks was it, was it, yeah, he, wasn't even, he wasn't even in the top five, was he? <laughs> no, he was. Yeah, he was fifth. Yeah. yeah or might have been so. sixth, actually. Yeah, you're right. So, like, uh, yeah, as we went on about, like, he's putting and, and whatnot really won in the event, but obviously his power helped. But, uh, yeah. But, um, no, Jeff, Jeff's spot on. He knows that he knows how to actually plan a golf course and make a person actually be challenged yet have a decision on the tee. Do I take it on or don't I? With my laser fences, yeah. that's not a decision. That's it. Laser. Okay, boys, it's that time again for some golf tipples this week. Was that the <laughs> clinking of the bottles in the background, was it? It may have been. Now, now I do have a belter of a, of a golf tipples, but I've actually decided to shelve that one until next week, lads. Sometimes, sometimes a golf tipple is about the joy of reliving a round somewhere special or just finishing a really hard round, uh, having a drink at the clubhouse. And sometimes it's about celebrating a life. And today I'm getting a little bit self-indulgent, I know, but I'm going to go with the latter with something very simple. And it's, it's a lovely drop of Australian Shiraz. This one, it's fittingly from Heathcote in Victoria. And this one is the, the Carle Green Vineyards Cuvee Stephen Thompson Shiraz from 2017. It's a bottle that uh, Dino used to enjoy and it's from a, re- a region that he loved. And if you want a little bit of irony that I've just, just realized, it costs $59 and that's the same age as the great man. So we're going to raise a toast for Dino with a drink uh, that he used to love and ponder the memories of our fallen sporting heroes, lads. So here she goes. I'm trying to get the tenants. Oh, it's actually uh, it's actually a lovely drop too, but we're so um. <laughs> Jeez, I, t- I tell you what, that's not a uh, it's not a uh, regulation pour that one, Dames. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not driving up, after this, are you, Dames? Just, just filled up half the glass or half one, the bottle. One, one of the benefits of curfew, gentlemen. <laughs> Nowhere to go. Tremendous. Yeah, well done, mate. Well, Good well, on, anyway, on cheers. Your day, So, cheers, boys. So, sorry to be uh, a little somber, but I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought that was more of a fitting thing to do than our usual golf tipples. But it'll be back in full next week. I've got a belter for you. Yeah. Very good tipple. Um, but, but that's what I got. Because the other thing that Dino was really passionate about was gear and was equipment. He was passionate about the game of golf. He was passionate about everything to do with it and every element of learning more, of embracing technology and seeing where it, where it went. And that was everything from cricket bats in terms of his journey all the way through to, to golf equipment, which brings us to a little bit of gear effect, where we're just going to talk about a couple of things that are going on in the world of golf and golf equipment. And one of the most exciting things for mine, because even though I have no club head speed and actually can't play, I like looking at things that are nice and compact. You do love new gear, don't you, Phil? And I can tell you there's two of the new irons on the market uh, or, or coming out 
the JPX921 forged and the Ping G425 iron have done something that I love, which is create a package that is more forgiving but smaller. And that to wow. me is- That's the holy grail, one, isn't it? Mm. One, it's genius, engineering genius. I mean, Ping have been able to pick up about 3% of MOI whilst making the, the club head smaller. And these are only incremental gains, but they're big, they're big gains because when you put the club down behind the ball, it just appeals to the eye. So, so Ping with their G425 iron have gone very metal woody, very spring loaded face for want of a better description. Um, tungsten heel and toe, but in a really classic looking iron with the hydropel finish. Has um, anyone ever told you that you're quite mesmerising talking tech? <laughs> can, it's like, I don't know, it's like, a, it's, it's like phoning a-, a It's a, a whole body thing too, isn't it? It's, he gets, it's he gets, unbelievable. He gets, the, the, you can't see it, but he, yeah, all the, the arms come in, the hands, the excitement, the expression on the face. Oh, Philly, this is, this is your passion. I, I could just listen to this all day. I'll give you the but tip. I've got to tell you, so, so all this began of a journey many, many years ago, working with, and really it was working with Hogan and working with a team of guys in the assembly section of Hogan, which is where I got my LT, my top flight LT grinds from Hogan Apex, that whole journey. And you just find yourself being around people who like challenging ideas and who continually said, including my man Rodney, who's over in Vietnam, continued to say, you got to just know more than that. You got to know more than that. You've just got to know more than that. And even Darren uh, Meow at Mizuno, you know, there was always that you've just got to know a little bit more. So I do love it. I genuinely love it. But the ping on, so if we deal with a G425, first compact spring-loaded face but one of the geniuses of, of ping is rather than having to to muck around with too much weight low and then make the loft super strong to get the ball and get the nice trajectory onto the ball they actually just effectively create a golf head that springs and so when it trampolines it actually adds dynamic loft and throws the ball up into the air as opposed to cgs so it actually looks more natural and more neutral to the eye and i love that and i love the fact that ping do things in increments and successfully from a 921 forged point of view, I must say this to my eye. JPX, listen up. The Mizuno JPX 921 forged, I'm going to declare it the best looking golf club I've ever seen. In my life. What? It couldn't possibly be better than the MP20s. It poos all over your MP20s. Oh, it does not. Oh, you this bite is, your tongue. However, however, I must say there is something. So there's a couple of really special things, just as Ping have got their method. So Mizuno are forged. And Dumbo, you might have mentioned at the start of the show, but forged, forged, not forged face, forged hosel, forged, forged back, forged badge, forged toe, or the word forged written on it. These things are forged. But how's this? Two different metals in the one iron set that are both forged. So the long irons in the Mizuno JPX 921 forged, four iron through to seven iron, are chromoly, 4120 chromoly. Really fast metal but still forged, billet forged, so they can mill the face really thin to launch the ball and give you all you want in your long lines. And then at 8-iron, they go to 1025E, which is the same metal as used in Damo the- So what was that, Phil? MP20s, correct. Oh, yeah, okay, um, good. I like that. I tend to doze off when he goes on one of these I, rounds. I, I definitely dozed off there. I definitely dozed. This I've- is genius. On the short irons, you get the feel. You want the feel. And on the long irons, you want the forgiveness and the, and the ball speed. So why don't we just combine the two? And initially, Mizuno weren't too confident in that, so they weren't going to tell anyone. And I'm saying you got to scream it from the rooftops. Best-looking irons. Wow. Uh, Best-looking combination of set of irons I've ever seen. But G425, if you want a bit more forgiveness, JPX 921 Forged, if you fancy yourself as a bit of a player type. While um, you're talking about the G425s, Phil, believe it or not, today 
I received three of these gorgeous-looking puppies, the Ping G425 drivers. We've got the three of them in there. We've got the the SFT, the L- LFT, and the draw. Straight flight, SFT. Yep. Sure. Low spin, LST. Isn't that what I said? Straight flight, SFT, and the Max. There we go. So there's what they're the three that we've got, boys. We're going to put them head to head in a product review, which hopefully we'll get into season two if, in fact, we are allowed out of our homes. If we're ever allowed. To. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. But I will say again, having funnily enough done doing a bit of reading up on the four two five again, MOI and forgiveness in a package more forgiving than than the four ten plus LST will reduce your, your spin and is a little bit more compact. So the LST is 445 cc. So it's that little bit more compact head shape that Kipper, being the purist that you like, you'll put it down and you'll say, yeah, that's a bit more compact. Yeah, I'm that's looking forward to of, it. Looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it'll be good. Outstanding. So, we'll have some fun with going that. On. Beautiful, Phil. I was, uh, I was starting, to, uh, starting to drift off there, but um, I checked my notes and I realised, yes, it is in fact time for some golf dreaming. It is, in fact, time for some golf dreaming, but I'm sick of speaking, but I need to introduce this. <laughs> it was your idea. <laughs> You're very good at it, Phil. Imagine planning a golf trip that literally starts as a, gee, it'd be good to go there. Actually, you know what? While we're there, we should probably go there. And then you realise that this is going to take two years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see where we're going. Yeah. Are we in the Northern Hemisphere somewhere, Phil? <laughs> Well, we did touch on this in terms of going to Chicago and Philadelphia Cricket Club, Philadelphia Cricket Club, Philadelphia Cricket Club, where I'd be able to get a hit there, and Chicago Golf Club and Winged Foot and actually, here we go, Olympia Field. But no, we are going to the Northern Hemisphere and we're going to where it all started. But I, I just can't believe it. Now, now, Kipper, we spoke about a couple of the tracks over there that are your favourites and immediately you said, oh, I'd have to play. Where, where are you going? Look, at I think there's probably three or four over there that are, that are just awesome. Um, I suppose I've heard and I have not been, but Bally Bunyan and uh, Royal County Down are just uh, raved about. Um, I'm, I remember Bads had a week off before um, one of the events we played in uh, the K Club and he played those two events and I just went partying in Dublin. But uh, he, <laughs> he, he thoroughly enjoyed his time and so did I. But in retrospect, <laughs> and I didn't get fired. <laughs> in retrospect, I probably could have spent five hours there and then still drove to double. But anyway, he uh, he he just said that they were absolutely breathtaking, and and the fact that you can play those courses a lot of the, a lot of the time with not many people around is also adds to it. It's like someone's built a course for you, <laughs> and you can. He said, "I just rolled around this course." He said he was by himself and in the fairways and the undulations. He had to figure it out for himself. And those two would be definitely in it. K Club, like rolling around there, caddying. I just it was. Yeah, it's the site of you know, Ryder Cups and numerous other events, European Opens and Irish Opens and whatnot. So, so got some stories from that joint, which I which I'd like to actually tee it up and have a crack at some holes. And then, if I'm over there, of course, you got to to get to Ireland. You have to lob in the UK, lob in England. So, I'd play a couple more there, but make my way to Scotland too, and of course, the old uh, RNA. Got to throw Muirfield in there as well, Phil. There's just something about it that just screams out, "I've got to play you." So, this is the challenge, shooter. Is that you start looking through the headliners. And then I find myself, because I have to be annoying, I find myself immersing myself in the uh, the ones that fly a little bit more under the radar or the hidden gems of what's going on. And so let me – I'll throw a few names at you and then I'm going to build up to one. But we'll, uh, on your marks, set, go. Ardfin. Never heard of it. In the Isle of Gerard. Bob Harrison. So he left Norman. That's the one near, near Isla, isn't it? The Isle of Gerard in Scotland. In Scotland. Designed by Bob Harrison uh, post his time with with Norman. Private estate, can't get on there, bad luck, but must play. Arklow, 
So south of Dublin. We've got Ballyliffin, Nadine and Portneu. Bless you. Now, I said that with a bad Scottish accent when, in fact, it's in County Donegal or Donegal. Enniscrone. Yes. Um, yes, I've heard great things about this. Un- just looks unbelievable. We know Brora because of the James Braid thing, and I'm building up to it. We've got Macrahanish and a Skirnish, a couple of old Tom Morrisons. Obviously, then Belly Bunyan, and they talk a lot about the Robert Trent Jones course at, at Belly Bunyan. But the one, and all credit here to, let's just go with Uncle Mick, codename Uncle Mick, because I tell you where we're going and where we're kicking it off. We're going to Wales, and we're going to play. And if I move my head, and you see the image behind my head, oh yeah, we're going to play Neffen. Now I'm going to bugger up. Yeah, I'm, I'm tipping that's not how it's pronounced, there, Phil. No, okay, Nifun, 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 and District. Well, if I'm Australian, I'll pronounce it how I want. Nefin and District Golf Club in the north of Wales. Jeez, that looks that's what's behind you. Which is the which is, is that the image runs along the cliff? That's got shades of old head about it. So it's it's got so you've got ten main holes and then you've got two other eight hole routings. So it's actually a twenty six hole complex, not not eighteen. Bit of a James Braid has got his magic on it. So Mick. Thank you for the suggestion. Looking down, but here's where it gets better. The Thai Cock Inn. I beg your pardon? Rated one of the world's best beach bars. It's a bloody hotel they've built on the beach. Well, I'm so down for that. At the bottom yep. of the cliff. <laughs> yeah. At the bottom of the cliff, there's a pub. <laughs> what? It, I, I may never make the course. <laughs> Mick, Mick, <laughs> Mick, one of the great suggestions of golf dreaming of all time, Neffin and District. I'm going to put some images up on our Insta page of Neffin and District because people, you need to check this out. You need to get there. It is regarded as just unbelievable views. Forget the golf course, but if it's got James Braid's kiss on it, you know it's going to be pretty good. I just love golf courses that it doesn't matter how you play. It's just so bloody good. You're going to love, you're going to love the vision no matter what. And you, inevitably you play better anyway because you don't care. Yeah, they don't, all- it doesn't <laughs> matter. <laughs> Uh, no, no, you do have to play. Sorry. No, no, no. even you if you don't play well. The <laughs> There's a new local rule that says you can't get into the pub unless you've played there if you're on a dreaming with golf barons. But but in reality, we could spend two, three, four hundred years there because the place was built for golf courses and for beauty. And when you look at some of the images, and Inneskrone particularly stands out in County Slagor, it's, it's just stunning. The whole, I, like I'm, I drool. I look at these images and then go to the next one, and then go to the next one, and go to the next one. Macrahanish is regarded as having the best first and almost best eighteenth hole in golf. Kipper, as someone who's travelled around the world and played a lot of different courses, do you still get that thrill of a beautiful course, or do you just see it more from a mechanics perspective? It's funny because, like, when Phil emailed me early in the week about you know this dreaming and whatnot. It's something I, I wish, honestly, I do. I wish I could, I don't want to say I have my time again, but like I spent my time around some of the greatest courses and greatest places on earth. And your job literally is fly in, get to the course, you know, do what you need to. Then it's, you know, play time and you finish your play time and then it's get a jet and go to the next, next event. And it's so in and out of a town. It's not funny. All you get to really see is the hotel you're staying in the best bar district or restaurant district that, that exists because that's where you go for dinner each night and the course from 5.36 in the morning until 6.37 at night. But there isn't a lot of time or any time to actually see anything else. So unless it's got a tour event on it, 
I haven't seen it. So therefore, there's so many courses that I'm oblivious to. I have no idea that exists like what Phil's just mentioned. And so there's part of me that thinks that if I did it again, I, I would do just that. I wouldn't hit up your classics. I'd just go and, you know, play the roughies all along the way that aren't roughies. They're probably just magnificent joints. So that that would actually tickle my fancy a lot more than it probably ever did because it's almost like um, when people say they, they're, they're having a year off, um, you go on the old sabbatical or gap year or whatever. I never did that. I traveled a lot, but I never had time to do this stuff. So yeah, you, you absolutely would. But even the courses that you did play or did caddy at, they're set up, they're set up for a tournament and courses are so different when oh. they're set up for a tournament to how they look when you're just playing them. You, you, a lot of the nuance gets lost because you've got a big stadium over here or you've had to move, yeah. you know. Well, the, the funniest, the, 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 probably the best one I can describe there is we lived literally next door to TPC at Scottsdale where they have the, I don't know what it's called now, the Waste Management or used to be yeah, called the Phoenix. The FDR, the Phoenix who knows open, what it's yeah. called. Anyway, the, the, it's the biggest attended tournament on the planet and we trained there every day. So you'd rock up and away you'd go for you know, basically 11 months of the year and then all of a sudden this thing would turn into a city. And I'm not exaggerating, a city. Like there'd be one hole has um, 16,000 people on it. The bird's nest, which used to be the party central area, got moved two k's down the road because people would be wo- woken up in bunkers and on greens and it just got out of control. Like it was my favourite. And occasionally spectators. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But but point is it. You're dead right. It totally got transformed. You couldn't recognise some of the like. I, I suppose you play the whole, but then you're like you couldn't see any of the other part of the course because there'd be huge, huge um, stadiums and galleries in the way. So yeah, I don't know. Playing the way I did didn't really. Although you saw a certain side of it that other people would never get to see, you certainly didn't get to see it in its rawest, purest form. Although raw Melbourne composite, I will say, having only ever played it once, but playing it surrounded by grandstands is mm. something that I loved about it. Yeah. Because it was also so different to yeah. the way I normally saw it and so unique and it was my one opportunity. You actually felt – you got a sense of what the players were going to do other than the fact that they're 150 metres further down the fairway. And, and similar to just because I like dropping names and I'm going to try and take over from you. Um, <laughs> when I was lucky enough to play the old course at St Andrews was two weeks before the Senior British Open. Yeah, awesome. And so the grandstands were starting to be put up. So I realised that, you know, when you scull one over that hole, oh, that hit the person in 4A. And I would have had to call four, but normally it just bounces back onto the green. So therefore, I was okay. That's the funniest thing about Augusta too, Phil, is that, that the grandstands are gone, but the 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 towers where people commentate from, you know, your your legends, your Vern Linquist and so on and so on, they're still there. So you walk around and you're like, oh, that's where – and if you know your history, you're like, oh, that's where that's – because they've always got the same holes each year. That's where so-and-so sits. That's where next, you know. So it's kind of cool going that they've, and that's, I think, the beauty of a course that has a championship on it that, that you play every year. There is that sense of nostalgia every time you walk around it. We are going to do a bit of master's work in the lead-up with you, Kipper, in that don't be surprised if there is more than one podcast where we're just talking Augusta. Forget the tournament. We're just talking Augusta. We can, we can have a whole a whole podcast on the best bars because there's um, – yeah, <laughs> I, I've got lots of those. So. <laughs> I reckon I can contribute to that as well, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> with the one where John Daly sets up Hooters. He just barrels in with his, his – no, no, I'm not kidding. Barrels in with his little um, lion's den, he calls it, and uh, sets up his truck in the Hooters car park and just stays there all week. That's it. And, and just drinks and parties, and, and it was I couldn't believe it, to be honest. And he was playing. It wasn't like he wasn't in the tournament. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty to talk about with Augusta. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with a good routine, one that works. Um, 
<laughs> Probably time, boys, to drift into a bit of uh, top topics. Philly, good stuff. Yeah, let's get let's get nice and deep here in some discussion here, boys. Philly, have you got you want to kick us off with one of yours? Oh, I'm going to go soft, Dave. I'm going to leave one for you. Tigers backup putter sold in the last week or so for 154,000 bucks US. Let's go with it. So four million Australian. His backup putter was auctioned, and someone paid 154,000 bucks for it, which got me thinking. And so this is not really a top topic. What one golf club of your hero or the golden age or otherwise? Would you buy if you had the opportunity and had unlimited amounts of money? I'll go first. Oh, there's probably a couple that come to mind. I mean, would I want? We can have one. Would I I want? Would I want Seve's wedge (laughs) that he used to play from the car park at the '79 Open? Just because that's a cool story to say (laughs) that you've got it. But probably for me, I'd go. I'd go Jack Nicklaus's putter from the '86 Masters. He wins, wins as a 46-year-old. You've got that iconic image of him with the putter in the air, and then you've, you have that image up on your wall, and then below it, you've got the actual putter on the wall. That'd be, that'd be proper fair for sporting conversation in the, uh, in the den. The shot at Merion from Hogan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. That'd, that'd have <laughs> to Hogan's be the richest golf club in the world, the one I like. So, so you guys are looking at it from an investment perspective. That's actually a lot more clever than me. I've gone more well, nostalgic but- and sentimental, and you've got, no, no, we can make a lot of money out of this. Yes. <laughs> Is there, is there a more expensive club on earth? It couldn't be. It couldn't be. It's frozen orange juice. It's the trading places. It's the frozen <laughs> orange juice of trading places is Hogan's one on. Feeling good, Lewis. Looking good, That was the rank. first club that I thought about would be Hogan's one on or Norman's 0802 that lipped out so many times and cost him <laughs> master. I, was say, I don't where, want the answer. So like, where are you headed with this? So is that so you've got an excuse? <laughs> When you miss I, I want to know because if I see it and I get to have a chat <laughs> to it, it and because I know my blade putters, we can have a chat and I can find out what it was thinking. <laughs> no. I don't want to know. <laughs> I do, wouldn't anyway, you? You'd burn was, it, wouldn't sorry, you? You'd just, burn it. <laughs> that was just a bit of my golf dreaming. But that idea of if you had that opportunity, and no matter the sport, I mean, if you had, if you had the opportunity, what is that one iconic thing that you would you would buy? A Hogan's one. Mm. Yeah. It's, I think it's undoubtedly the club. I wonder what honestly ever happened to it. Like, honestly, it's got to be somewhere. I heard a story. Is it, is it in his- Is it in the World Golf Hall of Fame? It could be. I mean, I, I just, yeah, it could be. I don't know. I read or heard a story that it got knocked off, and, and I'm no doubt I'm completely off the mark here, but I heard that it either got knocked off or got left around and turned up, you know, five or six years later. The, the you know the the famous one iron, or maybe that was the seven iron that he left out of his bag in the last round, which I still think is one of the great great skill stories of all time uh, mm. with Mister Hogan. But that was that was my um, that was my foray to begin to soften us up into the top topics shooter. I want to talk a little bit about where Australians are headed with our golfers. We've got we had a chat with John from Chicago actually, Phil, a little while ago. And we sort of touched on this, and I think it's probably worth a bit of a discussion around our players and are, are we. Are we good enough? And we're talking about the the best players that, that we've got in Australia, uh, best players under or twenty seven and under, and comparing that to the US. And and if you if you go with it, if you have a look at the Aussies, so you've got you know you've got Cameron Smith, um, Cam Smith, obviously a great player. You've got uh, Lucas Herbert, Minwoo Lee, Cameron Davis, Anthony Quayle, Maverick Antcliffe, Travis Smith, and Curtis. Oh, you just came second. Luck. Yeah, you, you had it. You played quite well last week actually. And Curtis Luck. 
But then when you you look at that and you go, that, that's you know that's pretty solid. You know they're, yeah, they're young guys. Then when you compare it to the US though, wait for this, boys. Justin Thomas, Colin Marikawa, Xander Schauffele, Scotty Scheffler, Jordan Spieth, Cameron Champ, Doc Redman, and Will Zalatoris. Like we're talking different languages here in terms of of is is it a skill? Is, I guess I know the US have a lot of a, a lot deeper pool from which to select their players, but and, and we know Australia punches well above its weight across sporting, you know, across the sporting fields everywhere. But is that the problem? Is it just that we we just don't have the talent or is there something else to it? The first one to, to say about that is I, I agree, like obviously they're star-studded um, names, but when you, you know, the population, as you say, versus the population there and then the percent of players that we have in our um, – or in the top 100 versus the percent they had – I know for a fact that it was 2005, we had more players in the top 100 per capita in our country than any other country in the world, right? So, it was an interesting stat they had come out. Basically, we were running the most elite golf that was going around at the time per, per I suppose. I think year. South Africa was pretty close as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They were right up there. But you can say that and you can then say, oh, America's got a bigger pool and, and all the rest of it, which they do have. But it's also the fact that their their heavy hitters are right at the top, aren't they? Right. When you look at you know the top, usually is fifteen players in the world. You'd have to say there's a fair bet that more than half of them are always American, right? Compared yep. to the rest of the planet, right? So it's not like they're they're dwarfing the rest of the planet in pure numbers, are they? Right. It's just that it's just the the fact that they actually are doing something right. And the only thing I would say that varies from spending some time over there versus Australia. I haven't spent a lot of time in, in Asia or Europe or whatnot to see how a lot of their training is, is done, but they're very, very short game orientated from such a young age throughout college, and then they're very scoring orientated. And the hugest difference, and I was a, a victim to this, the hugest difference in this country is we're very, tr- well, we try to be very aesthetically pleasing with our goal swings. We think we know what we're trying to achieve and look for, but there's no real individual goal swings that come out of Australia. I mean, the only only couple that I can think of in the last 20 to 25 years are like a James Nitties that made it. Most of the guys that swing weird in this country are literally told not to do that. As soon as they go to coaching fraternities or, uh, you know, basically have anyone has a look at their swing, right, don't do that. America is so different. They, they get taught impact. Would, would Leishman be another one to throw into that, Dees, as, as a little bit a little bit different? or Not not, not really, no. He, he, no. The other reason I say that- No, I don't mean that in a negative way, Phil. It's a very good, it's a very good, I mean, Leishman, Ogilvy, I mean, you can see probably where they were coached, but really similar actions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, real armsy, real handsy, timed-based players. And they'll tell you firsthand that if they're not on, they're not on, right? And when they're on, they're deadly, right? And that's, mm. that's, the, that's the problem with a timed-based player. It's all timing. And if things aren't running right and their hands aren't working well, they're in real, real strife, right? Like a Phil Mickelson. But when they're on, they're unbelievably elite. Face control players stay the journey. They'll stay around for decades upon decades and they'll be in the Hall of Fame and all the rest of it because their club face just doesn't rotate fast enough and becomes very passive through impact and and that's the difference i think between working a lot on on a short game based kind of i suppose upbringing versus full swing hit positions i say this over and over to, to a lot of my guys is that no one really learns how to chip pitch and you know hit hold off shots in this country early 
they all learn to try to swing it beautifully, and and it's one of the biggest, uh, I guess, downfalls or or um, pitfalls to the, to to becoming a great player. The aesthetic, because that's that's the challenge, and we do set a really high bar. But you you look through the players, and and what we are not disputing is how talented it is they are, and how hard they have to work to get where they are. But being the typical Australian tall poppier, we appear to be really good Commonwealth Games athletes. Um, <laughs> it's a good analogy. The PJ Tour is the Olymp- mm. the PJ Tour is the Olympics, and so we'll we'll win our share of gold medals, and we'll we'll dominate at a Commonwealth Games level. But then you put us up against the East Germans. I mean, you put us up against the rest of the world and the elite talent. Then you start to be found out. Maybe we were just spoilt with, you know, when we have Day and we have Adam Scott, Ogilvy, and even Leishman when he was early. And you look at all these names that said, well, who is our next? And I don't know enough about them, but who is our next Jason Day? Now, a lot of pundits will say, or pundits will say, Minwoo Lee has got it. But again, we spoke about this champion mentality of are they prepared to do what Bryson did? Are any of them prepared to do what Bryson did? I tell you, I reckon, and it, and it's a bit of a left curveball, but I reckon Lucas Herbert's got more of a chance than anybody going around right now to to break it big. He's just so powerful through the ball, and he's and and back to that face control. He's got it. Whether he's got the you know. The drive and the, I heard he, you know, was nearly going to give up a year or two ago on the European Tour and all the rest of it. I don't know, but he's the real deal in terms of ball striking. I, I think he has got it. Uh, one, he's got a good coach in Dom as a party up in Queensland now. But the other one, if you think about, does he have the grind? And we look at Danny Lee Pissant Tukilala, who 78 putts <laughs> smashed the club into the back. Yeah, no, Her- Herbie showed a fair bit at the US Open. He showed that he was he's yeah, willing to put he in fought, that grind. Yeah. yeah, and he had a win showed last a bit year. Of, and- showed some great ticker. But the point is that he fought and he fought and he fought and, and never stopped fighting. And so if nothing else, that's what we want to see. Now, you've got to have the ability to back it up. Is a part of the problem that we or where we find ourselves at the moment, is a part of that problem the sort of the the jingoism that comes out with our golf media and, and we're so – everything's around Australian golf rather than golf – on the whole, so we'd love to just single out our, our the Aussies and talk them up, even if they're maybe not quite where we want them to be or they want to be. We sort of overstated a little bit, or is that just a bit unfair? And I'm, I won't quote completely, but it, I heard it described as a golden age of Australian. What golf. now? Now, well, that's um, bullshit. <laughs> but sorry, no way. But I think back to when we like when we had the boys. You said earlier you had you had Appleby, you had Allenby, you had um, you had Bads. I, I mean, come on. But yeah, I reckon the the amount of talent was thinner. Now it's thicker, but the talent was better then. Really, really world class versus you know amazing. But but you know no one's winning majors, are they? Whereas all of those other people could win majors. So the next question I've got on this is, is that the college system in the US, so our good young players go out of their way to go and play college golf in the US, which is really where pennant at its peak spot, and they do it. Well, Jason Day is a prime example. But even Carl Phillips, you look at Carl Phillips now is at Stanford, I think, and again, he's being spoken about because he's been on this trajectory to get onto a currently number 10th ranked amateur or sort of middle of the year in the world. But it's then, have they got the next bit? And I'm not... I don't want to make this a Bryson-centric thing, but the thing that impressed me most about Bryson, as I banged on about last time, is that he set out with a strategy. He put action plans in place that he pursued in order to achieve the ultimate. 
And maybe sometimes success is a scary thing. And coming from the least successful person I know, I, I here it is. But sometimes success is a scary thing that we've got a fear of pursuing because of the fall that can come as a result of it and because of the exposure that can come as a result of it. And Tiger's gift was being so mentally strong that he actually it was ended up being to his detriment as a human for that period of time, but to the benefit of his golf game. And so it's a very fine balance. But you, you look at it, and if, if our golden age is dominating the Commonwealth Games, now I, I these guys are fantastic players and the bar keeps getting raised, but is our bar getting raised? And therefore, what would you point the finger at locally, Kipper? And you spoke about, you know, maybe is, is it a teaching method or a focus or otherwise? But is there... Is that the point? Is that we're we're told to swing it so we look good on camera? Yeah, I think is I it- think if yeah, and what do I know really? I but I reckon there'd be there'd be three things that if I'm raising a young junior or my daughter, and I wanted them to be one of the best players on the planet, there'd be three things that I would tell them to do different than than that is currently happening in this country. One, don't become a caddy. Exactly. <laughs> Get a range exactly. finder. Yeah, exactly. Uh, get GPS. No, no. It, it would be undoubtedly don't the aesthetics of a backswing, the aesthetics of a downswing mean absolutely nothing, and it's proved time after time after time after time. You just have to get to the ball right. Learn and have a great coach that gets you to the ball the right way with the right impact dynamics with a quiet and passive clubface. That, that, that's the first thing. The second thing would be get out of Australian golf as quick as you can and go and if you want to play in America, go and play in America or join a golf club in Australia that is so easy, it's not funny, right, that always water their greens, it's quite short, where you get used to shooting five to nine under on a daily basis. Because in Australian golf, I remember my first year trying to play, right, over there, I was just shocked. I went to tee off at 10 o'clock on my first – it was a Pepsi Tour event, just a tiddlywink event. I was, 10 o'clock was just my first – doesn't quite taste quite as good as Coke. No, exactly right. Exactly right. That's pretty much my golf game. But I rocked up and I'm doing my warm-up and I see some clowns nine under, right, and, and I haven't even teed off. I par the first six holes. I hit every green, every fairway, and I miss every part, and I had dead-set anxiety. Because I knew I was behind the curve, and that that happens in every sport, doesn't it? It's like the, trying to get that first the, cricket, for example, trying to get that first ton. It feels like it's an absolute Everest, and once you yeah. once you get the first one, you go, oh, I've been here, and then, Actually, then next time you you've oh, I've been here before, and it's so much easier. It's it's re- it must be the same with basketball, Phil. Like it's it's clearly just that mental barrier that you need to get over. And you've brought brought up a perfect point is in cricket how it's evolved, right? So that's 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 a really good analogy for what what I'm about to say here is that. In cricket, now T20, it's not unfathomable for someone to score, you know, 100 runs off 40 or 50 balls. You know, that, that's not unfathomable. Back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was a joke. It would never happen, right? So that's kind of the way you need to think about scoring to compete over there. Versus Australia, you go out in a four-round tournament in the Australian Open or PGA or any of the events that are here, shoot even par one, two, three under, and you, you're in, you're totally in the game. Do that over there and you're sinking. So that's a, that's the second thing. And the third thing undoubtedly would be learn learn a hell of a lot more about flight control, height and flight control, right, which which is really prevalent over there. And we're talking about the US tour versus everything else because when you go and play in Europe and all the rest of it, it's all about, yet again, keeping a ball down and running and yardage control. 
In America, it's pure distance. Knock a number out. And, and that, that doesn't get taught in Australia because there's so many other elements. <laughs> Run, you know, bounce, you know. So they're, they're my three things. Yeah. It's completely different to playing in America. And so I, so in closing here, I don't know if we've got players that aren't as good. I just know for a fact they're not conditioned to the way that you need to play over there. Have you ever been asked, I mean, we spoke about the golf bags that you knocked back and I'm still concerned that you knocked Norman's bag back. But have you ever been asked by someone aspiring to get on the tour, someone from a governing body coaching or otherwise, to talk about the things that you don't know. I mean, we talk about, you know, I don't want to sound like Donald Rumsfeld, but when we go down the known knowns all the way through to the unknown unknowns, have you ever been asked or tapped on the shoulder and said, look, what what is it that I don't know that I don't know? It, not really. And the main reason is, is because I come back to this country and I'm not PGA affiliated, right? I don't get to talk at lectures that are, I suppose, a lot of up-and-coming people are attending, right? And it's really sad because I've had a lot of PGA um, trainees come and sit in on my classes and then they sit in for weeks on end learning the craft because they just don't get taught it. You know, the great Tim Moore, I've had numerous conversations with um, Timmy about different things to do with the the PGA and all, all the rest of it. And there's a gap there between being a great, I guess, teacher of the game versus being proficient in other areas to, to be a great trainee, you know, run a pro shop and all the rest of it. But if you want to be an elite coach, you need just to study that and that's it. All right? and, and that's something that doesn't happen in this country. And I was extraordinarily fortunate to be around the best coaches and players in the world for such a long time. Otherwise, I would have been just like everybody else that, you know, gets, grows up here that thinks they know a golf, a golf swing. At 21, I thought I knew everything. Thought, I, thought I, me and Bad thought we knew everything. I, it, it, you look back now, we, we walked onto our first event. I'll never forget it. Fairway to our first event and, and laughed at the best players in the world golf swings. Laughed at them, right? And I look back now, just a Monty. bunch of little naive kids that didn't know enough. And because Bad swung it so nice, we thought that's the only way. And so is Nick Faldo's swing. That's the only way. And you, know, you fast forward that 20-odd years to, to me being old now and, and you it couldn't be further from the truth. And Operation Champ. Because the last point I'll, I'll give, and it was a, a brand that I was working for many years ago, and I think sometimes we do go out of our way to protect our own dung heap. And this might be really effectively what you're saying. But I was presenting a new driver and there was a room full of golf pros. And sorry, I wasn't presenting it. Uh, a guy who came out of the US, a guy called Gary Gallagher, was presenting it. And Gary was talking about this driver and talking about fitting the best players in the world. And the first question was, how long have you been a pro? And Gary said, pro? Not a pro, a player of 11. A man, a player of 11. And there was a murmur around the room, like what we've just wasted our time listening to someone who's not a pro. And then, sorry, I don't understand. And then the next question was, sorry, you're off 11. I don't understand what that, I mean, you're fitting these players. He said, do you know the reason that Retief Goosen at the time, and that might give you a sense of what the brand was, comes to me for a fitting because he's not coming to me for swing advice. He's coming to me to get the best fitting that he can get for his golf equipment. And I am the best fitter and it's irrelevant. He doesn't care what I play off. He wants to know that I can get him the result. Exactly. And what's amazing about that too, Phil, is the greatest probably eight or nine coaches in the world don't play golf anymore. None of them do, right? They're, they're real students of the game. They love the, the technique side of it and they, that, that, that's their passion. But to play, they've all got their little issues with their golf swing and their – 
I guess, burnt from trying to work on them so much. They just love helping people that haven't got so far down the track. We're going to get to questions from the gallery, and I know Phil has a list he wants to get through. So, anyone, if you've got any questions out there, send them through to us at swagger at golfbarons.com. Philly, ask away. I'm going to choose the best ones, and Kipper, I'll, I'll direct these are to you, unless I specifically think that Damo can answer these even better. That's hurtful. So, Damo, this one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't shout four and your ball lands near others, are you a massive prick? <laughs> uh, yeah. And the reason, sorry, there's uh, just a, sorry. I'll just to give some background to the questions, Damo, and then I'll let you answer. A lot of a lot of people. There are a lot of new golfers that have come into the game over the last, particularly over the last six months. I mean, golf is is peaking, and they're all welcome on board, and they are therefore welcome as barons. And and being a baron has nothing to do with how long you've played the game. It's how much you love it. So that's the preface. So, Damo. Yes. If you don't shout for and your ball lands near others, are you a massive prick? Yes, you are. I'm sorry. There's no two ways about it. Yes, in fact, you are. No, that was actually directed as you. Are you a massive prick? If my ball lands near Dion, are you still a massive prick? I think that's what they were saying. You've lost me. Yeah, you're, either way, you're still the prick. Okay, you just wanted to call me a prick. I, I, think, I think Phil just likes saying prick. Yeah, I think he does. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What adjustments do you need to make when playing on renovated grains, Kipper? Well- I mean, it depends, I guess, where you're playing because renovated greens here are actually normally softer than their normal, you know, hard firm. So, as soon as you get a renovated green, you okay, well, this has been done, it's softer, the ball checks and usually it's slower as well. But some other places, it, it actually is harder than their normal green. Like I know a few of the courses in America when they do a, a new green and they renovate it, for some reason, it, maybe it's drier than the, 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 the texture that it actually is at. So, all of a sudden, it bounces on. So, it's a bit of a dodgy one, that. It actually is totally dependent on where you're playing, I reckon. Crap answer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, I thought it was all right. I like this one. No, it was a good answer. If if you think something – Damo, we'll go with you again. Sure. <laughs> you'll love this. <laughs> you Particularly prick. after the eight-second shot clock challenge, Kipper, you'll understand. If you think someone is cheating, what do you say? Other than bullshit loudly when they tell you their score. <laughs> yeah, Phil, you've we've had, we've actually talked about this on a course because I'm a I'm a call them out person. I'm like, hey, no, 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 you had a and whereas you you just go you brood and you hold it against them for years and years and years. And sometimes it's yeah. just an accident, Phil. So if you call them out, you'll find that it's some people accident. say, oh, whoops, I oh, sorry, I forgot. I don't know, forgot I slightly duffed that one over there. <laughs> Add one more to my score, and they would rather you called them out. As opposed to Phil, who just it just broods for years, and the Schadenfreude when that person <laughs> finally something bad happens to them, and he celebrates with a lovely bottle of I don't know Heathcote Shiraz. Would well, you remember in the eight second challenge we had to <laughs> yes, stand on that first green, adding up the shots? Yeah, there was just so many of them. So yeah, it wasn't. I, I you got it. Like if you even you got to call it out. That you got to call it. out. hundred percent. You just go over it methodically. One, two, skip a few. Yeah. Ninety-nine, hundred. And what if someone? Yeah. And what if someone defends their position? Strongly saying no, I had six as an example. And it depends if there, it depends if there's a uh, if, if there's a an adjudicator there, Phil, who often can get things wrong because they're a really poor judge. Who knows? But in all in all seriousness, have you ever had that, Phil? In all seriousness, yeah. Are you for real? One day I'll do a tale from the tour, and it's a little thing called the Walker Cup. Anyway, moving right along, we've got to get this cleared as legal. <laughs> I think, Phil. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think the last one is, and this is a, an important one, because golf ultimately is a social game. Should you always ask someone playing on their own behind you to join up? Is nah. it bad manners if you don't? No. 
because there's a good chance he's a Nigel No Friends anyway, and there's a reason why he's playing by himself. And maybe he just maybe he just wants to play by himself and enjoy his round. Why should you change your round oh, for that, Phil? If he's sitting in the clubhouse by himself, I'd say yes, invite them in. If it's out on course, how are you about? You can play through, enjoy yourself, but you can't, but play, you can't with. play with. Yes. I'm all with you here, Dame. One hundred percent. Because you don't know where their heads, you don't know where their heads are at. Yeah, exactly. Like, as, as you say, and also you don't know he hasn't stormed off on the group behind you. <laughs> He's stormed off to get away from him. And there's nothing better than playing with a friend or a couple of friends. And if you've got a spot vacant in your group, you don't want to get someone else in where you have to meet and greet for another three or four holes. It's uh, no. I, I, I hate know. the making up <sighs> making up a foursome with randoms. I hate it. I despise it. It's oh, the one yeah. thing in golf. Heaven forbid we're ever social. I can't handle it. No, but- if I want to be social, I'll be social at the pub with you, people. I want to play with some mates, catch up and talk to them and not have to foster a new relationship with some random from up the road. But unless, unless, and as as, as unless she's really she said, hot, I'm all, I'm, all, I'm all on your here, shoot. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Unless they instigate, do you mind if I join up? Then absolutely, absolutely, I'd different. never ever say no. But otherwise, no. Well, that just a moment. I don't see the offer in or the problem in just putting out your hand and making the offer. But apparently, I'm unique in this golf baron's world. No, but, wanting well, to be okay, social. so so, so no, what that's, all, fi- that's 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 so fine. maybe you give them three offers. Would you like to join, play through, or stay where you are? Yeah, multiple choice. Yeah, that's right. And then you can actually phone a friend. Anyway, this is a disaster. But, Kipper, speaking of playing a round of golf with someone who maybe was having some highs or lows, and as we do like to do, we're going to finish with a tale from the tour. You mentioned the K Club before in Ireland. Is there anything that stands out that you could leave our listeners with? Another delightful tale from your dulcet tones of antisocial responsibility? Just social distancing, well, Phil. In the uh, in the time spent on the course before I could get to Dublin and go out, um, lucky enough to play with a great man, Sevi. Oh, I didn't play; I was just ca- I was just caddying. But uh, well, it, but but I will I will preface the story by this: at the time, Sevi obviously you know Sevi, the absolute legend of the game. But he was in his kind of comeback phase. I don't know if you remember it, but in the early two thousands, he he'd had back injuries in the late nineteen nineties. And then only played a handful of events, really. And then sort of had this like last kind of run at things. So I saw Seve play and in the group, clearly not at you know his prime, not nowhere near it. But it was still Seve, right? So I, I still remember my my mate um, Front Edge was caddying for him, and um, just by chance, long story that is too. But anyway, so we had a great group. It was me and Bads and Seve and Front Edge, and out we go, and. <laughs> We get on. I can't remember what I was on, on uh, at the K Club, but Sevy's hit this tee shot that would make Ian Baker Finch's tee shot on one at St <laughs> Andrews look like a straight ball. I've never seen a ball go so far left in my life off the club face and then keep going. He he hit it perfectly, but it went at, at about forty five degree angle. Um, anyway, so we got our fairway and then the rough and the tree line, and then you've got the next fairway and then the rough and the tree line, and he's in that tree line, right, so far over. Anyway, Bad sits one down in the middle. Of course, Seve's go. So we look across, and he's under all these limbs, and <laughs> I see front edge running down the, the let's call it the, the, uh, the next fairway, trying to get a yardage, and I look across, and he just shakes his head. He's like, oh, I don't even know what I'm going to give Seve here for a yardage. I knew that's what he was thinking. And I said to Bad's, What's he doing? Like he's got to go straight down the the I guess that that fairway because he can't go over because on the hole we were playing it went sort of to a to a crescent on a hill then straight downhill and then the bottom of the hill was a huge lake and the green was popped over the lake so from where he was coming from 
he had to go through trees and under trees. He had to then lift the ball up over, well, I guess, the fairway and then the trees on the right side of the fairway, flight a, a, a lake, land it on a green and stop it within a c- certain amount. And on the back of the green was like this sharp hill. So I'm like, he's got no shot. He's just got to, you know, just bunt it down the fairway and maybe play over. Next thing I see, he's just wheeling three wood in the uh, in the trees. And I'm like, this, this is going to be a train wreck. Anyway, he's just hit this shot and I see him run out of the trees. I'm like, where's this gone? And I look and it's flown. Everything's gone under and over and up and, and around. And it's flown the, the lake and finished in the back, I suppose, uh, grass. But it, it was like a, a really steep angle on the back of this green. So, Bads hits one down there and hits it to about probably, I don't know, sort of 25 feet and sort of short of the, short of the, um, of the hole. So, it's Seve's go first. And Seve's standing – you know when you're, when you're flying a green, you've got the bunker at the back that's always on a slope and you've got that sort of you – know, your, your front foot's lower than, than your back foot and, you, and there's no way known that you can stop a ball. This guy has taken swings out of the rough like he's trying to, you know, kill snakes. It's, he's that – it's flying that hard. I'm like, if he – like, this thing's going in the water. There's no, this can't not go in the water. Badger's like, what's he thinking? I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, he just takes his swipe at it and this thing comes out like it's, <laughs> like it's like a butterfly with sore feet, lands about a meter in this thick gunge, right? And meter, meter short of the green, takes one more bounce. The grass grabs it again and then it trickles onto the green and rolls down to about three feet. I just like, there's no way he could have planned this, right? I'm thinking. Badger's like, this, this is a joke, right? So now Badger's got like a 25 foot up the hill, hits it up to about the same length, right? And he's just inside Seve. Badger walks over and goes, Seve makes it and I miss. He goes, I'm giving up. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, Seve knocked it in and obviously so did Badger. But I've never seen a better par in my life because two of the shots were no one could play them except him. And and then the fact that like he had the absolute confidence to have a crack at it, it didn't even think about any safe plays. It was just Seve to a T, all the rumours I'd ever heard, and it was encapsulated in one foul swoop of a hole. And on that note, we'll bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Special thanks to today's sponsor, Mizuno and the new JPX921 Iron Family. And be sure to keep supporting us by watching Golf Barons On Demand on KO. And for our US and UK listeners, keep watching our first season available on Amazon Prime Video. Finally, head over to baronslife.com and sign up to get reminders about this podcast or to check out the latest issue of Barons Life Golf and Lifestyle Magazine. Until next time, Barons, add some swagger to your swing.